We've covered a lot of territory. Um, the first evening we talked about the need of revival, that it is our greatest and most urgent need and should be our first work, right? And uh, that we should not expect that revival would come without prayer. And that's why we've started every meeting with prayer. And uh, I hope that all of you are, are praying at home as well. And I'm certainly warned by these uh, united prayers. And Kayla, thank you for, for sharing. And uh, you know, it's, there's, there's something really wonderful. Remember what I told you about um, Evan Roberts? He, he said, I have a message from God for you. What were the four things that he talked about? The first one was confess your sins. What was the next one? Make any known wrongs right. Third, set aside any doubtful habits. Next one was be prompt to obey. And finally, let others know what Jesus is doing. Publicly testify of Jesus. And so, Kayla, you were prompt and you let us know. And what a blessing. And uh, I was reading, and I shared this with you, you know, about the revivals that took place in, first in Battle Creek and then in South Lancaster, Massachusetts. And how, you know, there were people who were unable to, to make things right. But they, they, they literally came forward and they said, you know, we've, we've made a promise. And, and they just said, you know, we, we're going to do our best to do it when we can. And, you know, I think maybe tomorrow night I'm going to do something. And say, who'd like to just share publicly what God has convicted them of so that we can pray for each other? And I'll even go further. I would like to suggest to the church that you choose to meet once a week about revival, just to keep praying and studying for revival, encouraging each other, even if it's just praying. I don't know, I assume you have a prayer meeting. But, you know, sometimes prayer meetings can be actually study meetings and other things, but something where you very specifically say, Lord, we will not stop asking and we will not, you know, stop pursuing until our church experiences revival. What do you think? You know, why? You know, they were told to tarry until. And we just don't have enough time, do we? We just have to move right on. And Ellen White said if they needed it, and then she talks about what they did, we needed even more. And so, you know, I want to encourage you not to, to, to do something short. So the first night was seeking revival, then pursuing revival, and I pointed out that, that she says it is our work by confession, humiliation, repentance, and what? Earnest prayer. Those are the conditions, and that's the order, too. And usually in the Adventist Church, we start with prayer, and we give a little bit of lip service, but I'm not sure we do much beyond the prayer, from what I've noticed. And so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled. We talked about what to confess, and there was a long list, wasn't there? A long list of things to confess, and we even added a few more later, didn't we? But uh, I don't know about you folks, but our, families, our, our house is different already. Praise the Lord. And it's going to stay changed. And there's still more change coming. And I know some of you have shared the same thing. Praise the Lord. And that's, and that's what it should be. You know, there's, there's rubbish on the king's highway. And we need to move the rubbish. You know? And then we need to make room to be available to Jesus, right? Many of us have our lives so scheduled that, that if he wanted us to do something, he's like, Lord, I'm sorry, we just don't have anything on the schedule this month. It's all booked up. And I think that if we're going to begin to really live for him, we're going to have to make sure that we make a priority of having the time to, to spend with other people. I think it's part of Satan's plan to just keep us busy, busy, busy. We talked about making things right, about restitution. We talked about repentance is more than feeling sorry, that it's actually a change of behavior. We read a quotation where she says that many confess, but they don't repent. You know, Judas, you know, he admitted he made a mistake, but... Uh, it, and he somewhat repented, but it wasn't repentance that was valid, was it? So repentance is more than feeling sorry. And then we talked last night about, um, about how we'll get to heaven someday on the basis of what Jesus has done and not what we have done. And I wanted to share something with you because we're taking some, some interesting steps together. And it's something that I didn't focus on enough the other night. Here it is. I love this. 
a statement is made. This is in the little booklet called um, God Has a Controversy with His People. It says, this is no time now to make excuses and blame others for our backslidings. No more excuses. That's line 307. This is no time to make excuses and blame others for our backslidings. No time now to flatter the soul. If circumstances had only been more favorable, how much easier for us to work the work of God. We must tell even those who profess the truth that they must cease to offend God by their sinful exercises. And then she talks about the fact that God has made provision for every emergency. And then line 328. Jesus is our leader. We must follow where he leads the way. Now, we mustn't go in our own direction. We must follow where he leads. We are not to commence to plan for the second step. In other words, usually when God leads, he leads you one step at a time. He doesn't choose to show you the next two or three steps. He wants you just to exercise faith on the next step. And then after you've taken that step, he'll show you the next step after that. We are not to say, Lord, after I've taken this step, what shall I do? For I shall meet with difficulties. We're not supposed to raise questions, okay? But by faith, we must take that one step, come what will, and trust in Jesus. It's so easy to say, God, if I, if, if I make that change, how will it affect my relationships? How will it affect my, my work? You know? And we would like to know about the future, but Jesus says with me, it's all or none, and I think he chooses not to show us a lot about the future to force us to trust him. You know, he wants us to learn to trust him, and we're going to see tonight that, that, that it's hard to learn to trust. And how he does it is he puts us in situations where we are compelled to learn that he is trustworthy. And uh, we'll talk about that. But, but he only will show us usually the next step. So don't be frustrated with me or with anyone else. Just say, Lord, if that's your way, I, I choose to trust you. I mean, do you really trust Jesus or not? Let me ask you the question. You do. Enough to trust him. I hope so. Because a lot of people say, oh, I trust. You know, you know it's just so sweet to trust in Jesus, right? Just to take him at his word. Well, they sing it, but they don't really mean it, do they? Because if they meant it, they would go right by what this word says and not vary at all from it. But many have great struggles. Well, tonight we want to talk about what it means to take up the cross and follow Jesus. Tomorrow night we want to talk about why we need to choose emptiness in order to be filled. And um, then the Thursday night we're going to talk about trials and why God uses trials. You'll be surprised by what we learned there. And Friday night, adopting Christ's lifestyle. I didn't know what I'm going to talk about Friday night until recently. And I believe it's a hidden key that will explain much that we haven't understood. In fact, we're told repeatedly that it is the place of the Christian's power. And when you know this, it will make you look at everything differently. I promise you. I promise you. So please uh, continue coming. I, I'll do my best to make sure that you don't feel in any way that your time is... Uh, is wasted. Anyway, let me have a word of prayer and then we'll get started. Two other things though. I should mention I have a mailing list. I hardly ever write. I've only written once since I've been married, which is terrible. But I, I used to write every day. But it's changed, hasn't it? You don't see my letters anymore, do you, AJ? I apologize. But anyway, maybe twice, a couple of times, not many times. But anyway. If you give me your name and your email address, we'll put you on the list. And Dan, one of the things he wants to do is begin writing more again. And then secondly, if anyone wants to visit with Rose and I on an individual basis in your home, we will be happy to make ourselves available. Okay? We're truly here for you, and we're glad to come. So don't be shy about asking for a visit. You know, now I want to pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you that there's a group of people here who are earnestly wanting to know you without any rubbish in the highway and without anything holding you back from blessing us and using us in a profound way. Father in heaven, we, we talk together about the fact that with sin, first it has to do with your honor. In our lives, are we living in such a way that others will honor you because of the respect we give you and by the way that we carry ourselves? 
Then we talked about the fact that, that sin has to do with the fact that you have an earnest concern for people who don't know you and that you give us the gift of time and you give us the gift of money and you're concerned about how we use those two things. And Lord, if we don't take advantage of those things, you, you withdraw and you, you give the blessing to someone else. And also, Lord, you're very concerned about our relationship on an individual basis, not because you want us to be putting in time in the Bible and putting together so many prayers, but because you love us and you want to spend time with us just the same as a parent would with a child or with a husband and a wife, boyfriend or girlfriend, whatever. Father, tonight we want to honor you. We want to learn so that we can live for you. And we want to have it all come together in a way that we can hear the well done. And instead of crying as you did for the rich young ruler, there would be joy in your heart. I've been chosen again. And Lord, I have nothing to offer except weakness and feebleness and unworthiness. But you used a donkey. Uh, you used uh, people of all ages. Lord, you said you could even use rocks. So please use me in a powerful way. And Father, for those who aren't here, might they also be blessed, not because my words would get to them necessarily in a magical way, but because somehow when the Spirit is with us, the Spirit would be with them too. And Father, be with Joel in a very special way, Lord. Might she just feel that she's missing something tonight, please, for Jesus' sake. But send the Spirit upon us now and bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. This comes from the book, The Life of Victory. Uh, Mead McGuire made this statement. He said, there's a great deal of modern preaching. It's not in your booklet. There's a great deal of modern preaching which presents as a remedy for sin, love, social regeneration, culture, self-development. And you probably recognize that that's almost a quote from Steps to Christ. Uh, there's a, a statement along that line there. I believe it is. But according to the scriptures, the only way to deal with sin is to begin with death. Okay. We are not in the business of self-help. Uh, we are so weak, we are so broken, that God says, I can't even fix you. I'd wish that you would lose hope in yourself so that you could put all of your hope in me. You know, someone said, when we get discouraged with ourselves, it's because we still hope for ourselves. Not right to be discouraged with yourself, because that means you're hoping that you'll be able to do something to help yourself. And God says, without me, you can do how much? Nothing. And how much is nothing? Nothing. And that's why when Satan comes and says, you know, you're too bad, say, that's right, Satan, I know. That's why I'm trusting in Jesus. Okay? And when he says, you're too weak, that's right. <laughs> I'm trusting in Jesus. Okay? Satan doesn't like us to know the truth. Anyway, undoubtedly the great difficulty with the majority of believers is that they are trying to live Christ's life without first having died Christ's death. Okay? We're trying to live the life of victory in ourselves instead of in Jesus. It's much more popular these days to talk about life than death, but not more necessary for death is the way into life. Many have not seen or understood the necessity of this death, and others having seen it are afraid or are unwilling to die. It is the daily dying of self that makes room for the living of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me repeat that last sentence. It is the daily dying of self that makes room for the living of Christ. The next statement comes from the book God's Amazing Grace, page 225. For those of you that take notes, it's not in the little booklet. She says, We cannot retain self and yet enter the kingdom of God. If we ever attain unto holiness, it will be through the renunciation or the death of self, and the reception of the mind of Christ. Okay? This is something that I don't believe we, we understand enough. And we really need to. If you would, turn in your Bibles now to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And we're actually going to start in the later verses of, of chapter 5. It says, verse 19, 519, Romans 519, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made 
righteous. Praise the Lord. Everyone believes in the fall of Adam and how in Adam we all fell. But do we all believe just as heartily that in Jesus we've all received the potential to be new people, new Christians? Do we ever think about that? Do we ever think about that? Now, we continue. Verse 21. He says, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay? So he says that though sin brought the the rule of death, grace brought something wonderful and new. And most of us praise the Lord. We've all quoted uh, Romans 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God. Paul asks a question in Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? Shall we keep right on sinning that grace may abound? Does Paul say, you know, God, Jesus died on the cross so that he could give us his grace and it's by our continuing to sin that we can prove how wonderful that grace is. How does he answer that? He says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it. Paul makes a pretty strong statement that somehow, because of our having died to sin, we don't have any reason for living any longer in it. Does the Bible lie? Does Paul lie? Absolutely not. Somehow, as we understand this matter of dying to sin, it brings a, excuse me, a victory that we didn't have before. Now, when I use the, the word dying to self, what do you envision? What do you think about? Is it something that you are looking forward to? What do you think of when I use the, the term dying to self? Moment by moment. Okay, Michael? Crucifixion. Okay, yeah. What else? On a personal basis, what does it mean? What do I have to give up? We think about what we might have to give up, yeah. What else? Losing one's identity, yeah. What else? How about losing control? Losing control. If you were to go to, for example, a... Um, oh, we won't go there yet. We won't go there. The point is, is that when we think of dying to self, we associate it with pain, right? This is not going to be easy. And I won't have as much of a word anymore as before. In saying that, I'm reminded of Rosalind Goforth. She was married to Jonathan Goforth. We mentioned him earlier in the week. And, and when Jonathan proposed to her, he said, now you must remember that, uh, that uh, if, if you marry me, God will always have the last word. And in her younger age, she had always prayed, said, God, give me a man who's completely devoted to you. And she kind of remonstrated. She, she, she said initially, I thought, I don't like that. I want to have some say. But then she thought to herself, you know, I prayed for a man who was completely devoted to God. A man completely devoted to God would certainly want God to have the last word, and, and I'll agree with that. And, um, and so they worked together. Interestingly enough, you know, visiting houses door-to-door in the poor areas of, of Toronto. And uh, she was even disappointed another way. He... Uh, he, he came to her one day and he said, I, I don't want to disappoint you, but I'm not giving you an engagement ring because I put the money into buying books to let people know about China because I'm trying to raise money for China. And she was disappointed. But she thought to herself, why, that's what a, a man devoted to God would do. And so she accepted that. She was, she was having to progressively die to self. And you know, she was a a much-blessed woman. And uh, what we're going to discover is that when God leads us through those experiences, 
It actually gives us a freedom we never had before. Did you hear me? Anyway, well, it's a struggle, and, um, and so it's not always the easiest thing to, to die to self. Now, when we studied about righteousness by faith, and I like to use a different terminology, I like to talk about receiving forgiveness and the merit of Jesus' life. That's what, what righteousness by faith is really all about. That speaks to what God does for us, okay? Um, Martin Luther, um, in his Reformation, he focused especially on the work of God for people. And that's what justification by faith is about. That's what righteous by faith is all about. But when one begins to claim the promises of Jesus in terms of righteousness by faith, one discovers that not only do we have mistakes that need forgiving, but there's something in us that causes us to sometimes make mistakes, even though we don't always want to do that. Would you agree? I mean, many of you are, are rejoicing in Jesus, but you're aware that, that sometimes Satan comes by with a really powerful temptation. And you, know, you have to kind of pick yourself up off the ground and say, Jesus, forgive me, I didn't want that at all. And that's because not only is there an issue with our mistakes, but there's a problem with what causes us to make mistakes. God is always willing and always able to forgive us, but the way we change is a little different. Now to make this practical, imagine that in the hurry to get to meeting, you got stopped by the policeman. And uh, you were told if you want to fight this, you can come in court. Right? And so you appear in court and, um, well, let's, let's give a better example. You know, uh, a family member has suddenly had a heart attack and you're rushing your family member to the hospital. That's a better analogy. Well, the policeman says, you know, this person looks mighty nice next to you. You know, you get to appear in court. You know, you can, if, you can, if you can convince the judge that there was a real emergency, he can let you off the hook. I won't. So you appear in court. And you can do three different things in court. You can plead uh, guilty and you can pay your fine. It's clear cut. You can say you're innocent and the judge will say, do you want a jury trial? And, and then you're going to be able to argue it if necessary in front of your peers. But if you plead no contest, you're basically saying, listen judge, there was an extenuating circumstance. A relative had a heart attack. And by the way, here's the emergency room report. Here's what the doctor said. Here's the number of days the person was in the hospital. And yes, I was going over the speed limit, but there was a reason why I was doing it. And then the judge basically says, okay, that's valid, and I will give you mercy. You were guilty, but you admit that you made the mistake, and I'll give you mercy, and you're absolved of what you've done, right? Now, sometimes it's not quite as dramatic as that. Sometimes maybe... Maybe you're just going too fast somewhere. And when you appear before the judge, you tell the judge, listen, you know, I'm really trying to do better and I can't afford to pay, but would you please let me off? And the judge then gives you a little bit of a lecture. He says, do you promise that in the future you'll always drive the speed limit? And what do you say? Well, judge, actually, I don't plan to keep the speed limit, right? No. You say, judge, I'm going to be careful. And you really mean it, don't you? And when you leave, you're very careful. In the next couple of weeks, you're very careful. But then somehow that scene in front of the judge fades from your memory and, and you find yourself going faster. Why? Because you were given mercy. You weren't given transformation. And it's the same in our relationship with Jesus. Rights by faith, justification gives us mercy, but it doesn't bring a complete transformation. Now, the two go together, but it is a progressive work for sanctification. You follow what I'm saying? Some people are confused because they think that when they receive you know, Jesus as their Savior, that that automatically deals with everything else. And it can, but not necessarily. And what I mean by that is that there are things we don't even know about yet. And there are things that we really love that until we're ready to relinquish them, God can't really help us. Okay. So... Um, we gain mercy, but we still need a way to, to overcome. So here Paul in Romans chapter 6 is talking, What shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. 
How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know, verse 3, that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized where? Into his death. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Okay? Verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. So, what? Our old man was crucified where? With Jesus. Now, did Paul say something like that ever in another book, in Galatians? Who remembers the verse? Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. I live, yet not I. It is Christ that lives in me, right? The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, etc. This is the point. Many people don't realize that when Jesus took their sins to the cross, he also took them to the cross. Did you know that? Not only were your sins taken to the cross, but the old man that you struggled with was taken there too. And that's what Satan doesn't want you to understand. That's what Satan does not want you to understand. Because you see, Satan says, no victory's been won. But instead of looking in your own self, at, at your feelings to see if you've won the victory, you look to the cross and say, I won the victory on the cross in Jesus. And you claim that victory. That victory can never be taken away. And that's why Satan's power is broken when you realize that your victory was won on the cross. Did you hear me? Okay? Now, um, let me share a few, uh, a few analogies with you or, or, or a story from the Bible. We talked about it briefly, but let's do it again just for a moment. Do you remember when um, Jesus was talking to the disciples in Luke 9.23, what he said to them? Look at that, would you? Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Luke 9, 23. Then he said to them all, and the context there was, um, he was talking, I believe, to the disciples. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him do what? Deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. When the disciples heard about this business of taking up the cross, what was their reaction? What was their reaction? Some of you have read The Desire of Ages. What, what, how did they face what they were hearing then? Was it something that they looked forward to at all? No, not at all. Uh, it pointed to the most humiliating kind of experience they could possibly imagine. I don't think they really understood what was going on. But for the disciples, it was something really, really awful. You can read about it uh, in, on line 741. It says, Jesus bade his followers take up the cross and bear it after him. To the disciples... His words, though dimly comprehended, I'm at line 742, his words, though dimly comprehended, pointed to their submission to the most bitter humiliation, submission even unto death for the sake of Christ. No more complete self-surrender could the Savior's words have pictured. Okay? It pointed to their submission to the most bitter humiliation, uh, submission even unto death for the sake of Christ. In those days, a criminal was sentenced to die on a cross. Basically, what did it mean for that person? What did it mean for that person? If they were sentenced to death by hanging on a cross or, you know, being dying on a cross, what did it mean for the person on a practical basis? Did they say, yes, sir, I will go. You know, I'll lay down, tie me up, put me up. Is that what they did? 
No, they were forced to go, right? And they were forced to go to the place of execution. They were forced to lay down on that cross. They were forced to, you know, submit to being tied down. They were forced to having the cross lifted up. And they knew it was the end of their life, right? Now think about that in terms of the spiritual life. What does it mean to take up the cross on a practical basis? What do you suppose it means to take up the cross on a practical basis? Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross. First of all, let's start with a deny yourself. What did he mean when he said deny yourself? Deny yourself. Was that, you know, deny certain foods? Okay. It was choosing to ignore what you wanted. Okay, that's the first step, is making the decision to not insist on having your way. Okay? First step. How do you feel about that? That's called losing control in a certain way, isn't it? Yeah. So Jesus said, deny yourself and then what? Take up your cross. What did his words mean? What did his words mean? Take up your cross. Judy, what? To walk with Jesus, okay, okay. Okay. Yeah. What else? Okay. It basically meant when to a man who was being crucified, he was losing one hundred percent control of his life. Period. Okay? He wouldn't have even the slightest say in where he was taken, the slightest say in how he was going to die. And when everything was said and done, he was going to be as dead as a doornail, right? And when Jesus said, take up your cross, he said, you're choosing to lose absolute control. You're choosing to say yes and to keep saying yes whether you want to or not. That's what it means to die to self. And he said, do that every day. Jesus said, deny yourself and take up your cross daily. Now there's a big difference. What's the difference between a criminal that was crucified in the days of Jesus and a person today who takes up the cross and follows Jesus? It's, what he's talking about is that the criminal was taking kicking and screaming, but Jesus voluntarily walked, voluntarily gave up his life, voluntarily submitted, and that's the right answer. Jesus calls us to voluntarily take up our death every single day. Yes. Exactly. That's all we can do is we can only make a choice and then God can honor that choice. So Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. Now, notice the next, um, well, let me just, let's, let's talk about a few people. Who are some people that you can think of in the Bible that, that God led into a very real dying-to-self experience? Who are some people that were led into a very real dying-to-self experience? Moses. Moses. In what way was Moses led, Michael? Uh, what? He had to deal with the Israelites. <laughs> but is that where it started? Yeah, okay. But where did it start from Moses? He's one of the examples I wrote down in... What? When he, he made a mistake. He, he, he went to Egypt and he tried to do God's work Moses' way at Moses' timing. And instead of helping the situation, what happens? He kills a man and he goes fleeing into the desert and God let him sit there and cool his heels for how long? 
40 years until finally he had no confidence, right? He truly had gotten to the point where he only felt qualified to lead sheep in the desert. And then what did God do? He said, Moses, I need you. But how did he call him? It's wonderful how God called him. There was a bush that was burning, and the heat was, was high in that bush, wasn't it? But the bush wasn't being consumed. And it's a, good, it's a good illustration for us that when God calls us, you know, the fire may be hot, but we won't be consumed when we're working for God. Did you hear me? So God calls him, and he finally goes back, doesn't he? And it wasn't easy when he went back. But, but Moses was called to endure 40 years in the wilderness until he finally got to the point where apparently he was prepared to obey God in leading the people out of Egypt. Yes? I think one thing. Exactly. Exactly. And you're so right. God wants us to be joyfully and let's, joyful. And let's think about the example. The one I love to think about is Joseph. Joseph was called to a great work. He even had dreams to that effect, you know, where he, you know, with the stars and the sheaves, you know, bowing down or, or kind of inclining themselves. Um, and he wore a special coat. And God had a job for him. So how did God prepare him for his work? What did God do to prepare Joseph for his work? The first thing he did was he had him sold into slavery. How many of you would like to prepare to work for God by being sold as a slave? What? He allowed it, but, uh, but it was part of God's plan. We need to have, uh, see what God does through the right light. Anyway, so he gets there and he's working for Potiphar. Yes? Yeah, yeah. The sister mentions that she thinks that for Joseph, being betrayed by his brother was as hard as, as a later enslavement to Potiphar. And that's probably true. The point is, though, is that God allowed him to be betrayed. God allowed him to be sold in slavery. God then later allowed him to be falsely accused. Now, here's, here's a point I, I, wanna, I want to point out to you. That when he served Potiphar, he was going through a difficult experience with a smile on his face. Potiphar would have never put him in charge of everything had he not had complete confidence in Joseph. And I'd like to suggest that we're only really dying to self when we're doing it with a smile on our face. Did you hear me? Okay. Then he's falsely accused. He would have been killed had it been true, but because it was a false accusation and Potiphar knew it, he was thrown in jail. And there he said, I give up, God. No more smiles from Joseph. Now what did he do? He continued serving God with a smile on his face, right? And then uh, two men get thrown in jail and, and you know, he helps them and he has a little bit of hope, right? But they forgot him, didn't they? See, God was letting Joseph be disappointed and disappointed and disappointed because that disappointment was so important to Joseph being prepared to be God's man doing God's work, God's way, at God's time on Pharaoh's throne. Did you hear me? Because, you see, Joseph had to come to the point where he was prepared to do just what he was told. And sometimes the best way that God teaches us that is by putting us through various trials where we have to learn to trust God in ways we never wanted to trust Him before. Do you hear me? And finally, when God thought that Joseph was prepared to obey his instructions. Then he promoted him from the dungeon to the palace in a single day. Maybe there's some here who are finding themselves struggling. Look at it through the eyes of faith. Look at it through the stories of Joseph and Moses and realize that your matriculation, your education, may be looking a little strange compared to the world which is all about high fives and success. But it's as you're being faithful. And what might look pretty dreary, if not difficult circumstances, those are the very circumstances that God is using to make you a future leader of God's people. Okay? Moses did a great work. And later when those brothers who betrayed him came along, what did Joseph say to them? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He, he saw the hand of God all the way through.
And so God allowed Joseph to experience a progressive journey of dying to self. Who else experienced a, a lengthy journey of dying to self? Abraham. Abraham was called to go to a place he didn't know about, certainly. Who else? Daniel did. And we'll talk more about Daniel uh, Friday night. Who else? Or Thursday. Job did, yeah. Remained faithful. Here's a group you've forgotten about. We can really identify with this group, and that is the children of Israel. If you think about their journey, now follow me, their journey was a progressive journey of dying to self. The Israelites had the problem that we have. They had unfortunately gotten accustomed to the nice positions in Goshen and the nice land in Goshen and the nice houses in Goshen and they rather liked it and God was looking at, at prophecy and saying these people are supposed to be leaving but they're too in love with Egypt and I'm going to have to awaken them to want something better. So guess what God allowed to happen? He allowed a Pharaoh that didn't know Joseph to come along who was intimidated. He was worried, wasn't he? And so he began to make their life miserable and eventually they were experiencing babies being killed and the men being hauled off every day to work as slaves. How long did that condition go on at a very minimum? How many years do we know that that, that went on? They ever really learned to die to stuff. Well, they, I'm not sure they ever learned, but how long was it before they were finally delivered from Egypt? How many years? How many years? Well, no, no, that's the total time. But from the time their difficulties began, when they were being enslaved and all of that. Eighty years. Because it was 40 years, you know, uh, that Moses was living there in the palace before he finally killed the man, and then 40 years later when he was leading the people in, in the wilderness. I mean, when he was in the wilderness herding sheep. So we know at least 80 years went on, right? Okay. I believe that's right. If I'm wrong, tell me. Here's, here's, here's the point they make. It was 80 years or more. It took that long before those people were ready to leave Egypt. And they were losing babies and their, and their men folk were being treated in the most abysmal ways, right? But they still weren't ready to leave Egypt. Why? Here's a little lesson on prayer. Because they were praying, bless me in Egypt prayers instead of deliver me from Egypt prayers. And when we pray, bless me in Egypt prayers, instead of making things better, God makes things worse. Did you hear me? And so God just let things get worse and worse until finally the people were ready to leave. But we can tell it's hard to leave Egypt because every time something bad happened, what did they want to do? They wanted to go back to Egypt. Finally though, Moses came, there were the plagues, and it was time to go. And the last plague was what? If you don't put the blood on the lintel, the eldest child is going to die. That was the first big dying to self experience for the children of Israel. What was the lesson that they were to learn at that point? It's a very real lesson. Obedience. If God says something, you can't afford to disobey because if you do, there will be consequences that will break your heart. Okay? I am convinced with all my heart that uh, every time we disobey, it hurts us and it hurts people in our families. Oftentimes, God calls us to be faithful no matter if others understand or not. And so here they are. They're told, and everyone that put the blood on the lintel, because they took seriously what God said, they were delivered, right? And then they begin marching to the promised land. Did they take the fast route to go to the promised land? No, they went by a different route, didn't they? Instead of going directly to the promised land, they went to the Red Sea, right? And when they get to the Red Sea, there's water in front of them, there's mountains on each side, right? And behind them is what? The Egyptians, right? They're coming. Did the way look impossible? Absolutely. What was the second? Well, the second lesson was what? Learning to accept God's direction. Right? They had to die to self. They had to go there. Why did God leave them to the Red Sea? What? To teach them trust. To teach them trust. But what else? 
that was the one place where God could get rid of the Egyptian army. It was to give them deliverance, sure. How many times did the Egyptian army attack them during their wanderings through the wilderness? Never, because the Egyptian army was all destroyed. But you see, I could imagine people saying, Moses, this is a mistake, let's go the easy route. But Moses said, no, 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 we must obey God because God knows what he's doing. And God led them to where what was dry ground for them ended up disaster and death for the entire Egyptian army but they had to die to self to go there and they had to learn to accept God's way of deliverance too. And what was the way of deliverance? As far as they were concerned, it wasn't the water, it was their obedience. Did you hear me? It was their obedience that brought deliverance. And then they get on the other side and they sing the song of Moses and everyone's excited and then they continue a little further, right? And, and there they hurried Right to the promised land, right? What, what happened the next three days? Who knows the story? No, not yet. Actually, the Bible says they walked for three days through the hot desert sands. Three days, no water, hot. What? Yeah. Three days of hot desert sands. Why? Because they had to die to self to God's timing, which is one of the hardest things to die to. Okay? They had to learn to accept God's timing instead of their own. And many of us, we pray for a day or two we want to change now, but God says, no, no, no. You must learn to trust my timing too, and God will allow us to go through one, two, or three days, you know, figuratively speaking, of dry desert sands. But God is intentional in what he's doing. And they're tired and then finally in the distance they see some water, a mirage in the distance and I can imagine everyone saying, water! And they run and they kneel down at the waters of Mara and what was the water like? It was bitter. And part of dying to self was learning to accept disappointment as well. Did you hear me? God intentionally allowed them to experience disappointment because when you die to self you must learn to accept good times or bad times equally because a dead man couldn't argue or disagree with what God is doing. Did you hear me? Okay. And then he led them. They had to learn about prayer. They prayed and the water was sweetened. God took those bitter experiences and sweetened them and then they were taken to Elam where there were 12 wells and 70 palm trees and they had to learn to accept blessings too. God likes us to be blessed sometimes too. Nothing wrong with that as long as it's according to God's plan. And then they continued dying to self. What were some of the other things that they had to die to self to? Now that you know what we're talking about. Uh, heaven's diet. The sister said a bland diet, but it was heaven's diet. Heaven's diet. And, uh, and it was manna, right? And it's interesting that, that that manna was given at a normal amount, six days a week, except the last day, five days, and the sixth day there was twice as much. Why? Because God was also teaching them to accept the Sabbath at the same time. And they had to learn to, to diet itself to heaven's diet and heaven's day. Did you hear me? This was a progressive journey of dying to self. Later they had to learn to accept God's leadership, God's, uh, God's the direction of, of Moses, etc. It was a progressive journey of dying to self. And the sad thing is, is that if they didn't learn, God let them come back and keep learning until they'd learn the lesson. Finally, brothers and sisters, they got to Kadesh Barnea. And there they had the opportunity to go over, but, but some people said we can't, right? Two said we can, we must, but ten said we can't. And so they turned back into the wilderness. Did God take care of them there? Yeah. Their food, their water was sure, their, their, their shoes didn't wear out, but they enjoyed promised land blessings. I mean, they, they enjoyed wilderness blessings, not promised land blessings. And I believe that many members in our church are enjoying the food and water being there and the shoes not wearing out, but wilderness blessings, not promised land blessings. Did you hear me? And they stayed there a long time, didn't they? Stayed there a long time. And finally they... Excuse me? There, okay, when they turned in the wilderness, instead of enjoying uh, promised land blessings, they enjoyed wilderness blessings. 
In other words, it wasn't the land flowing with milk and honey when they were back in the wilderness, but God still took care of them. He gave them food, water. Their shoes didn't wear out, but it was just a tiny blessing compared to what God would have done had they gone over the river. Okay? And so many of us are enjoying wilderness blessings, and we're so used to wilderness blessings that we think that's as good as it gets. But my brothers and sisters, God wants to give us something much, much better. What do you think? We are. I agree with you. We are, we are limiting God. And, and remember I said what, what gave them the victory through the Red Sea? Was it the water? No. It was their obedience that allowed God to use that natural power. And so it is when we choose to obey that it allows God to work in other ways. And when we look at the life of Daniel, you'll find it is because Daniel obeys that God can bless him. And in our day, it's when we obey that God can bless us. Now finally, God allowed them to cross the river. By that time, they had developed battering rams, right? They had gotten strong. They said, man, you be the first ones and you can fight the first group, right? Now God gave them some strange instructions. He said, go, and I want you to walk around the city without saying a word the first day. Same thing the second day. And it's interesting, this was a group that was prone to complaining and arguing, right? And God told them intentionally, no talk. This is a whole different thing. They were having to obey perfectly, okay? So here, and we can imagine that the resident of Jericho looking and saying, what is wrong with these crazy people? What is wrong with these crazy people? So they, they went around six days, and then the seventh day, at the right time, God shouted. I mean, he, God told him to shout. And what happened? God brought the walls down. When we are prepared to obey completely, to obey without complaining, to obey even in a peculiar way that no one understands, I believe that God will bring the walls down in our lives. Okay? And where dying to self fits in all of this is it is a daily decision to say, God, I choose to deny myself. I choose to stop thinking about what, what affects me, me and mine. And I choose to trust you. And, and I believe that somehow by what happened when, when the old man died on the cross, I can choose to trust you and obey you. And somehow it gives God the ability and the power to work in ways that he could not. Did you hear me? And I think on a practical base, what, basis, what happens is, is that God puts us in situations that we could not change because he's teaching us that we can trust him no matter what's going on. And the sooner we say yes, the sooner he can bless us. Many people, they, they, they say, I'm going to fight. I, I'm going to do this. And God's saying, I do not work that way. I do not work that way. So when we're talking about this matter of victory, um, the first part of victory, it's actually a twofold thing. The first half is dying to self. Okay? We die to self not to become a benevolent nobody that people walk on or a doormat. Did you hear me? That's not the purpose of dying to self. We die to self so that we will be completely available to God. Okay? Because you see, before where we were concerned about our agenda and we were working in our power, now we're concerned about God's agenda and he gets us busy doing his work. And we probably are busier than we ever were before, but it's productive busy and blessed busy. Did you hear me? We don't die to self to be taken advantage of by other people. It's so that we can give ourselves completely to God. And every day we have to make the decision. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross how often? I would even add every moment sometimes, if you want to know the truth, in order to follow me. We cannot follow if we are full of ourselves. Joseph, Moses, Daniel, many went through the kind of experience that I described. But they had made a decision, right? They had purposed in their hearts. They had purposed in their hearts that they would be faithful to God. And instead of going into these experiences with a, with a frown and anger, they went into it with a smile, didn't they? And God used those experiences to make them a wonderful blessing. Now, you must come back tomorrow night because we're going to talk about 
being emptied and filled by the, by, by the Lord Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, because, because you need that part of it just as much, okay? So you must come back. But that's where we'll end tonight. Please, if you would look at your, uh, your booklet um, and read the, the, the experiences or read the quotations there, and uh, you'll pick up what we didn't have time to talk about. But the point is, is that if you want to be revived as an individual, if you want to be revived as a church, you must personally choose to take up the cross mm-hmm. and follow. There is no victory if, if you choose not to take up the cross. And Mrs. White even says that churches need to die to self as well. You see, God wants to be in charge of your life, not to make you miserable, but so that he can bless you. He knows the formula, and it's almost like until we make the decision to be obedient, God cannot fully bless us. And sadly, we're hurt, and God is dishonored because he can't fully bless us. Wouldn't you like to be one of the people that chooses to completely die to self, Completely surrender. That's really what the word means. Completely surrender. So that God can have his way. Now I have to ask my, my wife a second. Or did I share with you about my dying to self experience here? We speak so often. You mean, like, are you talking about like, when you got down on your knees? And... No, 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 no. When I, when I was told to r- write a letter goodbye. So. Let me share just a brief story, can I? Because this will make it very practical. I, uh, I'm thrilled that I'm married because it takes away a lot of hassles in life. You know, it's better to be married. You, lots of things you don't have to worry about anymore. But anyway, I was very close to marrying someone. And, um, but I realized it wasn't what God had in mind. And Michael tells me he was praying that it, that it wouldn't go through either. So thank you for your prayers, Michael. And Rose is glad about that too, isn't she? Anyway, uh, and I pulled back. And I told the person, I'm not convinced that, that you want to be married to me with my itinerant lifestyle. And uh, so you can do whatever you want. But I, unless you really choose to be what we're going to be if we get married, which is a, a life devoted to God, it's just not going to go forward. And I thought the person would come back and say, Dan, absolutely, I feel called to walk at your side. But to my surprise, uh-uh. In fact, eventually began dating someone else. And Dan, who's been accused of being a glassy-eyed optimist, just descend into the depths of despair. I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep. It was so unlike me. I was really in depression. And I was hardly making it. And one day, a Sabbath afternoon, I cried out to God and I said, God, unless you help me, I'm not going to make it. And that evening, as I was reading some quotations on trusting God to my mom, suddenly God spoke to me out of the blue. And God said the following, write her a letter goodbye, and by the way, your struggle isn't with her, your struggle is with me. Do you trust me? Wow. Because you see, I had been second-guessing. Had I done the right thing? Was she making the right decision? Was he worthy? And God said, that's not what this is about at all. I was the one that led you. And do you trust me or not? And I said, yes, I do. And immediately the peace of God came over my heart. It was wonderful. I hadn't had it for ages. And I went to bed that night, woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and the first thing I thought about was this letter. I'd never written a letter like that before. I didn't know what I was doing. And she knows I share this story. You know, she's married now and I'm happy for her. I'm thrilled for me too, by the way. (laughs) But anyway, um, I woke up thinking about this letter that I was to write. And in my fog, there was a a hole in the ground next to me. And I imagined that she was the bottom of the hole and I was bearing my problem. And God spoke one more time. He said, no, no, that's not how it is. And I didn't feel good about it either because I said, I couldn't do that. I, I care too much about her. God said, no, no, it's you're down in the hole and I get to hold the shovel. And you no longer need to worry about this problem, this relationship. And I learned a lesson. When we die to self, it doesn't mean our life is magically free from problems. But now we've placed all of our issues in God's hands and we believe that he knows what he's doing. My brothers and sisters, I believe that we serve a God that is so kind and so good that he will lead us in the very best way. And though I went through all kinds of agony back then, tell you what, I am so glad he did because of the person I'm married to now. You know, when when we choose not to trust God, when we choose not to obey God, we are hurting ourselves more than we could possibly imagine. Did you know that? Please trust God because it's as we obey that victories come. Okay? 
and uh, we will see great blessings. So we need to close. Let's break into groups, small groups of two. Can we do that tonight and pray for a few minutes and, and just ask God to give us the, the desire to truly every day deny ourselves, take up the cross and, 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 and follow and die to self, please. And then we'll call you back. Let's spend a few minutes praying. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.